from Alachua, Florida. I'm Amrita Kaley. And I'm Nam Amrita. Welcome to Nectar Talks from the heart of New Raman Reiti, the largest Hare Krishna community in North America and the home of thousands of bhakti yoga practitioners. In our ongoing interviews, we dig deep into our search for loving connections with Krishna and each other. With you, we hope to uncover the real-life stories and inner journeys of our vibrant community of friends and special guests. Like bees searching for nectar, we seek to extract pearls of wisdom from how they live their lives and the lessons they can impart to us and our listeners. If you're seeking nectar, look no further. All right, let's get started. Hare Krishna, everybody, and welcome back to Nectar Talks. We are on episode today, and Amrita Kaley is back from being out for a couple of episodes with her new baby daughter, so we're excited about that. And we have a very great guest today that I'm going to let Amrita Kaley introduce, so let's get right to it. How are you doing, Amrita? Hare Krishna. (laughs) I was just trying to get myself unmuted. I'm doing great. How are you, Namamrita? Doing well. I'm so I'm so happy to be here tonight, especially with Nanda Nandana Prabhu. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. I was um, chatting with somebody earlier who I don't know from Boston, who was very excited to see this interview tonight and called you the real deal. <laughs> that has always been my my impression of you. Not only that, but really funny, really easy to talk to, and really serious about Krishna consciousness. Just as a, as a quick bio, Nanda Nandana Prabhu has been practicing Krishna consciousness for 30 years. She joined in Boston and spent a huge chunk of that time there and has had several adventures in the interim, which we're hopefully going to hear all about tonight. And now she's living in Gainesville and she is the manager of Krishna Lunch and she's also on the management team for the whole Krishna House, and she's been doing that since 2017. Thank you so much for for coming on with us tonight. Thanks for having me. Are you ready? I am. (laughs) Okay, so you earlier you were telling me that you were born and raised in Connecticut, and you lived there with your family and your brother until you were 18, and you moved to Boston with a group of friends. Yeah. When I think of Boston in the early 90s, I think of real world Boston and it like couldn't be cooler. What led you there and what was it like for you at that time? I mean, Connecticut's just basically boring. So <laughs> my friends wanted to move to Boston. You know, when you're young, you want to live in a city. And I thought I can go to school in Boston. There's, I think, over 100 colleges and, and universities in Boston. So my friends wanted to move there and I thought, why not? it would be really interesting. And so that's just, so I, we packed up and left Connecticut. Got it. Yeah, I've actually heard uh, a, a, lot of, a lot of kids who are hanging out in New York where all the act- Can you all hear me? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So I didn't want to steal Namamrita's thunder, but since his internet's out, I'm going to. He really wanted to ask you about how you joined and how that may have been through the hardcore scene. Mm, I think I okay. see him now. I think he's wearing yeah. a special shirt even to, to 
can memory. Pay homage to that, exactly. <laughs> Go yeah, ahead, I think I got frozen there for a, yeah. for a minute. Go ahead. Um, yeah, I was just sharing that uh, all the, by the way, I am wearing my shelter t-shirt. <laughs> Woo! Of, I hear that your joining might have had something to do with the punk hardcore scene, and I'm a big fan of that kind of music. And yeah, so I think it, it paused there because the connection, but I was just saying that I've heard so many stories of all the kids going to shows in New York City. Yeah, they're often from Connecticut or Westchester. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, maybe yeah, like I you mean, said, it was a little bit boring uh, out on yeah, the outskirts. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's Connecticut's right in between Boston and New York. So right. you either went to New York or you went to Boston. And then oftentimes we would travel back and forth. The New York kids would come to Boston and the Boston kids would go to New York. So it was, mm -hmm. there was a lot of, you know, in, in the Northeast, the states are very close together and they're not huge. So going around between New York, New Jersey, even Philly and Boston was common. Yeah, yeah. So would you, would you mind sharing a little bit about how you joined and perhaps the, yeah, the connection with the hardcore scene and all that? Yeah, it was, well, okay. The thing is, is I was a skater and when you skate, you get hungry. And someone <laughs> told me that there was free food at the Hare Krishna temple. There you and go. I hadn't heard of it. I don't even I don't even think I knew what the Hare Krishnas were because a friend of mine had told me and he said, there's free food there. And I said, well, there's no such thing. And he said, no, no, really, if you go there, it's free. I said, well, there has to be strings attached. There's no such thing as a free meal. And he said, oh yeah, look at, there's a picture from Boston. And he said, no, there's no strings attached, but they are kind of weird. Uh -huh. So I thought, well, that's okay. It's a free meal. It's okay if they're a little weird. <laughs> so I went and got a free, you know, I went in, and to the Sunday feast and that was back. I don't know. There's, there's for people who are here in Alachua, you all know Madhava. Madhava was the mm -hmm. cook in Boston when I joined. Okay. So I think his sweet rice converted me because <laughs> I would think about it all week. I think I got to go back and get that Hare Krishna sweet rice. And that was, of course, Madhava was cooking at the time. So I went a few times, but really I went, I did think it was a little strange. And then I didn't go again for some time. And then I started dating someone who was part of the hardcore scene. And he brought me back to the temple again. And same thing, we were just kind of going for the free food because he didn't want to push me too much. He liked the philosophy, but he didn't want to push me. So we just kept going for free food. And then I felt bad that, well, I don't know if I want to say felt bad. I felt like it looked bad. Right. So I thought, you know, maybe I should go sit in a class so it doesn't look like I'm just coming for the free food, even though I am. <laughs> but at least for show, I'll sit in the class. And then, and also Keishi Hunter, Keishi Hunter, I believe was the one giving class uh -huh. when I went to the Sunday feast. And when I heard the class, I don't remember what it was about. I just remember thinking, you know, this, oh, this is what we're supposed to be doing. Actually, this is what we do with our life. And I don't remember why or what he said. It was just like, you know, when you, you're in the middle of doing something and you get distracted, and then someone reminds you, it's like, why did I come out? Why did I come to the refrigerator? Like, oh, to get this out of there. I was like, okay, all right, now I remember. So it was that sort of feeling. It was like, oh yeah, that's right. This thing we're supposed to be doing. Huh. And so then that was it. I was riding my bike to Mangalarti in Boston wow. autumn season. It was very cold, but I was just 
it was like I picked up where I left off. Mm. Now, when you say you picked up where you left off, was there any kind of religious upbringing in your childhood? Or is it kind of like you, you connected from a past life type of thing? Both. I, we did go to church when I was younger. I did always believe in God. Mm-hmm. And, and so I just didn't, I wasn't like I was seeking though. I just, I knew there was a God and that was about it. Right. And then when I just heard the philosophy, I, it just was like, I remembered what I should be doing. Mm -hmm. Nice. Wow. So at that time, Shelter was picking up and was becoming pretty famous. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, there was, you know, if you went to a Hare Krishna Sunday feast, the shoes on the shoe rack were all vans. It was just loaded. In fact, some hippie guy wrote a book about traveling through America. And he said, if you want a free pair of vans, go to the Hare Krishna temple. He actually wrote it in a book. So for those who aren't familiar, vans are like skater shoes. Yeah. Such, um, a, such a beautiful time in the history of the movement, actually. Yeah. And so, and, and you know, my boyfriend at the time, Jay, he was friends with Raghunath and Raghunath had just started Shelter. And the year I really started coming around was when Shelter, I don't know if it was their first tour or maybe second tour, they had just started, they had just started their band because before they were Youth of Today. And that was a popular band. And then when they became devotees, it became Shelter. And so they were going around touring and, I don't know, doing outreach, basically preaching. Right. And, uh, and so I can't say that it totally was unconnected how I came to the temple because Jay knew about Krishna consciousness and he was friends with them and they were, and, you know, we were listening to their music and at the end of their albums, there was always a lecture, a class given by one of the gurus. So it was all kind of interconnected at the time. That was what was going on. That's how a lot of people were coming to the temple. A lot of people. Yeah, yeah. And I a mean, lot of them are still around. Right. Yeah. Not everybody in the movement knows it, but I mean, there's especially here in the U.S. I mean, there's just probably hundreds of kids who are still, you know, connected to the bhakti practice who who were introduced to it by by shelter and one way eight and. Yeah. They, they, they call the Krishna core bands. Yeah. 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 Very cool. So at some point you and your boyfriend ended up traveling with shelter. Yeah. Right? So the Gita Nagri, the farm in Pennsylvania used to do a lot of festivals and, and people from Boston and New York would travel there in Philly and shelter would sometimes use Gita Nagri to host a retreat. And so we went to Gidanagri a few times. And one of the times we went there was when 108 had just formed. And Parmananda, he wasn't initiated at the time yet. I think he was still Purcell. Purcell, yeah. Yeah. And he told my me and my boyfriend that, you know, Rajkishore, who was Vic at the time, said he started, he had actually, Rajkishore had just gotten initiated because I remember trying to remember his name. And I was trying to remember all these Sanskrit words. I was Rajki Shore. It's got the word key in it. I got to remember key. (laughs) So I was trying to remember his name, but he was telling us Rajki Shore, they started this new band called 108 and it's, it's really good. And he, we went in their shelter van and he put the CD in and we listened to it like, wow, that's really good. And he said, we're all going on tour this summer. And Kate, who's what's her name now, Kaylee Lolita. She, they asked her to play in the band. Mm-hmm. guitar or bass. I always get those mixed up. Guitar. This is the thing. 
yeah, guitar. These are the things I don't pay attention to. <laughs> <laughs> the details, I just, the bottom line, the bottom line, she was playing. She was playing in the band. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so she wanted some women to travel on the tour. I see. And so she asked me, she's like, do you have a van? Do you have, you know, it's like, how can we get a bunch of women together? So I said, well, I have a job. I go to school and I don't have a van. So I don't know. <laughs> so we, uh, so then I thought, so I told Jay, I was like, yeah, I don't know. What do you think? And he's like, oh, it'd be fun. And I said, yeah, but I have a job. I'm going to school and, you know, we don't have a van. Right. So we drove home that so after that weekend retreat and after they told us about that we drove home got into the apartment and there was a message on my answering machine because it wasn't voicemail back then there was actually a little cassette tape yeah. with a message that you had to rewind so there was a message that said literally a friend of mine that i worked with said don't bother showing up to work because it burned to the ground <laughs> And I was like, wow. okay, well, there's one thing down. I don't have a job. <laughs> so then I thought, okay, what about the apartments? And so I went to school and one of my classmates said, you know, anyone who's subletting for the summer, we need an apartment. I was like, all right, there's the apartment. So the last thing is the van. So I called my father, who's a mechanic. And I, you know, huh. sometimes people would just leave their car because they didn't want to pay to have it fixed. And he would just fix it and give it to us. So... I asked him, did anyone leave a van? And he said, no. So I said, all right, so the third one, we don't, I said, right, well, call me if anything comes up. So it was the very next day, he called me and said, you're not gonna believe it. <laughs> and I was thinking, I, I think I will believe it at this point, you know? <laughs> someone who used to, someone who he was friends with, he used to work for him, got a new van and asked if my father knew anybody who needed a van, he was just gonna give it away. Wow. So there was our van. So then we, we made the arrangements. And Shelter at the time lived at the Philly Temple because in the basement, they had a practice space. They had some soundproof room in the basement where they could practice. So we went to Philly for a month before the tour. And then we went on the tour with the van. Mm -hmm. How long was the tour? I don't remember. Two or three months. Okay. I mean, Fun. things seem longer when you're younger. Yeah, I mean, it's not easy to travel with large groups of people. I think we had up to 20 people at one point. We had a bus. We had a couple of vans. We had some kid from Germany came and joined the tour for some time. People were copping on and off the tour at different times. Right. And so the way it worked was at a show, they would always do a kirtan before they started their to play their set. Right. And so we would have incense and they would blow a conch shell and there would just be this crazy kirtan. And at one point, Ritabha Jaswami traveled with us and he led some of the kirtans. And then sometimes they would do Raghunatha Jubhajans outside the show, either before or after. It was really, and then during the show, we'd have a book table set up. Mm -hmm. And so we would, they, you know, they would do their show, play other songs. Raghunatha would always tell his stories. And it was nice, you know, Raghunath, he didn't, people would heckle him from the audience sometimes. Most of the kids were really into it, but someone would heckle and he just completely ignored them. He would just keep telling the story like they didn't exist. And he right. just focused on the kids who were interested. Yeah. And then after the show, people would get books. They would interview Raghunath. He would answer questions about Krishna consciousness and then pack up and on to the next place yeah. and, and Kendra and I would make Simply Wonderfuls and pass them out at the show. And so there was a prashadam distribution, there were books, there was kirtan, there was every, basically everything you'd find in a Hare Krishna program with hardcore music mixed in. Yeah, yeah. 
I got to tell you, my introduction to the band was when I was still living in France. I was 18 years old. My dad, who's a good friend of uh, Raghunath and Parmananda, hooked me up to be a one-day roadie for their work tour uh, in 1998 in New Jersey. So I got to be in the van with them. I actually kicked the drummer on, in the head by accident. I still feel bad about that because <laughs> we were all shoved in that van. <laughs> but, you know, I grew up in Gurukul. And uh, especially in Europe, it's a little bit, you know, there's a whole thing about the sex and the cults at the time. And so I kind of came from that background of being a little paranoid and even bullied for being a devotee. Mm-hmm. And so I go to this, this show in New Jersey and, you know, I help them carry their guitars onto the stage and all that. And I'm s- standing on the side of the stage as they begin their first song, which was the song Shelter. Mm-hmm. And in the middle of that song, they break down and they chant Nama Om Vishnu Padaya. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm seeing these just hundreds of kids just smashed against this metal fence in front of the stage just chanting to their top of their lungs, yeah. and I was just blown away. I mean, yeah, they I all had knew it. no idea yeah. <laughs> that this was happening. It's and, funny. Uh, they used to, they used to end the show. That song is the song they used to end the show with. Yeah. So that's like they went started out with, the show with it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I guess they kicked it off sometimes, yeah. but yeah, everybody knew the Prabhupada's pronouns. Yeah. Very, very neat. So, you know, I'm thinking about you're biking to Mongolarti, then you go on this tour. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know you that well, but it, now I see you're, you're a full-time dedicated devotee. Can you tell us a, a little bit about that transition from, you know, growing up and going to school and you had the job? How did you transition into mm-hmm. kind of committing most of your time to, to service? I know it wasn't really a transition. I just did it. <laughs> I guess I just... <laughs> Because I, I, I'm <laughs> trying to remember back to that. I mean, I just did as much as I could while I could. So when I, most of the time I lived outside the temple, so I always had a job. And whenever I could go to the temple and do service, I would. So I helped cook the Sunday feast, I helped cook the Wednesday feast. I would do books during the Christmas marathon on Saturdays. Just whatever, as much as I possibly could. Mm-hmm. On Harinams, we would have Harinams in Harvard Square on Saturdays. So I don't know if that's what, you're kind of looking for but I, I didn't really it wasn't a kind of a gradual thing it was just adding it in gotcha yeah that makes sense at first I was wondering if at that time because of the hardcore scene and you were describing to me earlier this shift from sort of a more intense brahmachari you know, sort of environment in the Boston temple. And then the scene comes on and it's vibrant and young and I guess a little bit more relevant and accessible to people, you know, in that scene. And I thought maybe it would be dominated by men, but you were saying that it wasn't actually, that there was a lot of women that were joining at that time and it was really fun for you. Yeah, I mean, there were, you know, when I first started, it's good that the shelter tour came when it did because it was right in the middle of a transition between one temple president and another. And before that transition, it was that kind of heavy brahmachari temple where they couldn't even answer a question that a woman asked. You know, it was the other extreme. It was like, can you tell me where the broom is? And then, you know, <laughs> just so no, you can't tell me or, you know, <laughs> should I ask someone else? Should I send out a search party with, you know? So it was like that in the beginning. And I remember thinking, this isn't a philosophy. Right. 
you know, this is just people who don't know how to apply it, or at least partially don't know how to apply it. You could see they're chanting, they're getting up early, doing all this stuff, they're doing books, they're they're doing outreach. So that was nice, but but that part where with the relationships with other people was just they kind of were missing the mark. And I thought, anyways, maybe someday it'll it'll improve. So then we went on the shelter tour, and it was so different because it was just a group of devotees. It wasn't like the it wasn't like the male devotees and the and the matajis it's like know, a it family just, yeah it was like a family and everyone just did what they could they just all participated and and it was nice and then and then i was thinking when we went back i was thinking what's it going to be like what's it going to feel like when we go to the temple and so when we went back they were just switching to a new temple president because the other one had gotten married and was moving and then the new temple president it kind of went it it's somehow the way he did things really attracted a lot of young people to move into the temple but the brahmachari thing was still it was kind of like he kind of had that mood he was from was from europe and he kind of still had that mood but you could tell that he was he was still young enough that he it's almost like he thought it should be that way but he didn't want it to be and so he kind of fluctuated back and forth between it, it being a little fanatical, but still wanting everyone to have fun. And because mm -hmm. everyone was young and came through the same scene, they just didn't want to be like that. They just wanted to have fun. <laughs> so all the, the young men and women, they got along perfectly fine. And we all worked together and we did a lot of fun stuff. And he had a system where, you know, at the Sunday program, you couldn't just hang out with your clique. You had to go and talk to new people. It's like you invited them here and I'll talk to them. And so I feel like that was part of the reason why it was very personal. So that was part of the reason why a lot of people were moving in because it, because people were there for them and talking to them and answering their questions. It wasn't just, you know, okay, come to our temple and then leave us alone while we eat. You know, it was more, it's just really people went and talked to each other. So the mood was a lot different. It was like what Krishna house is now in a mm -hmm. sense, just a lot of young people and temple was packed. And then of course, when you get a new, when you get new leadership, sometimes temples empty out. Mm -hmm. So it really depends on how the leader conducts things and whether or not it attracts people. But there was a, there was a phase of time where it was really just constant outreach, constant hurrying, going to colleges and, and and teaching at classes and things like that. It was nice. So while you were live, while you were, I guess you weren't living in the temple, you were living outside the temple for the most part and coming, yeah. you were engaged in all these different types of services. Like, were you focused in one area? Mostly cooking. Okay. Um, that's what I thought. Yeah. Yeah. Madhava taught me some things. And so mostly, okay. mostly I went into the kitchen and cooked and helped with the prashadam distribution. Did you know that you would end up loving cooking? Did you love cooking already? Or yeah, I liked sort cooking. Of... Okay. I liked cooking, yeah. And I liked eating. <laughs> so I <laughs> guess because I came for the free food, Krishna put me in the kitchen. <laughs> it's like, now you can cook it. <laughs> so yeah, that was, that was where I plugged in. Makes me want to jump to your current service as what is the, the actual position? Is it director of the Krishna Lunch program? Or yeah, Krishna Lunch manager. I, because, especially because I spent so many years in Boston, eventually I became the kitchen manager. It means I cooked the, I managed the schedule for cooking the offerings and I cooked for pretty much every festival because 
I prefer to cook for festivals rather than attend them. Yeah. Which is good because someone's got to do it. And the, the previous head cook, she preferred the other, she preferred attending the festivals as opposed to cooking. So we switched. And so that's what I did. So I did a lot of that and cooking the Wednesday piece. We experimented a lot with different things and cooking, you know, always large quantity. Did you so, say Wednesday feast? Yeah, we had a Wednesday feast. We had a Sunday feast. Wednesday oh. feast was, was the food was everything but Indian, unless I was in a rush. Indian food's very quick to cook. And if I was late, I would cook Indian. But otherwise, we would just try all kinds of different things. And then Sunday, we would always cook Indian. Mm-hmm. So, so to having done that, then when I came here, I helped with changing the menu on certain days because we, we look at the numbers, how many people come through Krishna lunch and which days are slower than others. And at first they had attributed Monday as being a slow day because, you know, it's after the weekend and there's not as many people on campus maybe. And I was thinking, I don't know, let's try a new menu and see what happens. And we did, and the numbers went up. So, so I started to slowly switch some menu items so that, and then we just keep an eye on the numbers, how did, you know, up or down. And then basically just being on campus when pre-pandemic, we were serving between a thousand and 1400 people a day. And so we, we had to make sure we never ran out. Right. You know, yeah, that picture on the right, that was at, that's with Krishna (laughs) Kitchen, actually. We had to make sure, you know, so the, so managing the Krishna lunch on campus means making sure we never run out of food, making sure that the line is moving along at a good pace making sure people aren't, you know, you see people trying different ways to, to, to kind of sneak in and, you know, put fake tickets in the box or something oh, yeah. like that. So we had to, you know, we had to watch out for that and uh-huh. just, you know, and just keeping everything moving because, you know, we have, we would serve out of the five gallon trays, those deep trays, and you go through a tray every 10 minutes, <laughs> so many people, and we have two lines. So it's just this constant, you know, we use the airline cart. So it's just constant taking trays out of the, out of the carts, which some people can't lift. I got so some just of those airline sure. carts from my old airline. Oh yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's like right. Shruti told me about something. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They've been lasted a long time. We fix them up, paint them up every once in a while. Um, <laughs> they are they're like eternal. They're yeah, they're great. They're actually perfect. But so just doing that, that was the entire time nonstop busy. During the pandemic, it slowed down. We're serving between maybe three and 500 people a day. So it's a little slower, but still just being out there, making sure we have the proper quantities, you know, making sure everything's going well, unloading the truck on time, loading up the truck on time. Oh, you guys really did your uh, research on Facebook. Oh, that, that's <laughs> Madhuri Lili, Mother Madhuri Lila for you. She does a lot. Oh. <laughs> that's my uh, John Mostomy. Those are some of my, that's Radostomy on the top left. And then John Mostomy and when we were in Potomac, bottom left and, and on the right. Those are John Mostomy meals. I'd offer a few meals throughout the day. Beautiful. I'm really fascinated by the, you know, not only the quantity cooking aspect of what you all do at, at the Krishna Lunch Program, mm-hmm. but yeah, tell us a little bit more about kind of the inner workings, you know, like, yeah, you got to manage the lines and the fake tickets and the, the trays that empty out. Give us a little bit more insight on the inner workings of such a massive lunch program that's just, you know, offering prashad to just- Yeah, like so we have, we have those tilt skillets, which are hold about 40 gallons of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so during, pre-pandemic, we would do 
for each prep, we would fill those twice. So sub G would be, see, yeah, the ones on the left where Gornatra just stirring. That's the yeah. tilt skillet. And there's another one closer to the camera. Okay. So basically you takes two of those to make the sub G, two of those to make the rice, one to make halibut and so on. And then what they do is, so they'll go in about four, four thirty in the morning when we have to cook that quantity and they finish about nine o'clock on Fridays. They wouldn't finish till probably about 10 Fridays, the biggest day Fridays, like stock to the top of those freezers with the, with the potatoes and everything. So they would just spend the morning cooking and they would fill up the airline carts and put the airline carts outside. Then such a hit would come and load the truck and we'd have to load all, we have to load all of our other things, forks and napkins and, and serving spoons and all the things we need. We would fill up three large igloo coolers, the three big, I can't remember how many gallons those are. We fill those up with just salad. And we would have already two carts filled with salad. And then we'd have two coolers filled with salad, one cooler filled with dressing. I think on Fridays, we'd bring 50 bottles of dressing and the bottles are 32 ounces. So they're, they're really addicted to the dressing. Yeah, the dressing I know is a, a major deal, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a major deal. It's like, they always say that. They come to the line and say, I love the salad. And it's like, no, you don't. You love the dressing. The salad right. is just iceberg, you know? It's like, I know you don't, you're not coming for iceberg. You're, it's just a vehicle, you know? The salad is just a vehicle for the dressing. You and could so, make anything a vehicle for that dressing. Grass, yeah, exactly. And anything. they do, Rocks. they do. When they, yeah, rocks. when they, <laughs> when they, and if they want the dressing on everything, they call it a full Krishna. Uh -huh. So we have a lot of people throughout <laughs> the day saying, I'll take a full Krishna. So it's nice. And you hear, if you sit on the campus long enough, I used to chant my rounds sometimes on the campus in the evening. And if you sit there long enough, you can hear people walking by the plaza saying, I love Krishna. You know, they don't call it Krishna lunch. I don't know what they just say. I love Krishna. I can't wait. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> so that's how they always say is like, we got to get Krishna tomorrow. I love Krishna. So and then, so then they so then we pack up the truck, we drive over, we have to unload and set everything up. We do that between 1030 and 11. Mm -hmm. to get everything set up all the airline carts and now it's a little more tedious because we have to set up the bank teller windows for the pandemic mm -hmm. uh, so we got oh. these pieces of plexiglass and these frames and oh my god it's such we're gonna have a bonfire with those things when the <laughs> because they're such a pain they're so cumbersome but we have to do it you know right so we set those up every time and then we we serve between 11 and 1 30 close it down pack up the truck bring it back we have to unload the truck when we get there and then the, there's a crew that deals with putting everything away, dealing with the leftovers. Before the pandemic, we'd bring leftovers to the homeless shelter or to food not bombs or to, you know, just different places mm -hmm. that would take the leftovers. It's a little more difficult during the pandemic to deal with it. But so people would deal with that afterwards. And, and then the cooks, they prepare for cooking the night before the cook right now, he'll bring all the stuff into the kitchen because it's cases and cases and cases of of things, cases of rice, cases of canned beans and tomatoes. And so you just lugging all that in takes about a half hour. Mm -hmm. So he gets that all set up the night before, and then he just goes in and cooks in the morning. It's a little less cooking now, but we have two cooks during pre-pandemic. Those quantities, we have two cooks cooking. Gotcha. And Krishna Lunch has been running continuously since 72? 71. 71. Yeah. Wow. So, so this is the 50 year, we're on the 50 year anniversary. Yeah. And it's, and it's five, five, it's May 5th. Today. Today. 
<laughs> we did that on purpose. <laughs> you know, I'm just thinking about how I joined because of Krishna lunch. I remember exactly, you know, I was, I was visiting my sister who was in college and I remember it was spaghetti Wednesday and I remember exactly what I ate. It's such a, spaghetti. It, it, it's such a reliable, predictable service for the students on campus. And it means so much. I think that, you know, even in the pandemic, they, they know that they can go out and that you have plexiglass up and then yeah. they can get their Krishna. They can get their full yeah, Krishna. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That exactly. makes a huge impact. And it has brought so many people to Krishna consciousness as well. And what is the, yeah. what is the mood? Like the, 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 can you tell us a little bit about the outreach mood at Krishna lunch itself? Well, the, you know, the idea is, is that they're just coming for lunch. They're not coming to get preached to. So all we do is, befriend them we just if they come through the line we say hey how's it going how are you doing they talk and then we have a kirtan going on so obviously we're Hari Krishnas you know they can see it's called Krishna lunch we have a kirtan going on Adi is there with his books and so when they get to know us and they feel they feel comfortable with us they'll start asking questions and they'll actually come to our programs so that's that's the mood there. The mood there is just to welcome people and give them their lunch in a reasonable amount of time so they can get to class because oftentimes they're pressed. You know, they have to wait in line. I try to move the line as quickly as I can. So we, you know, when they're coming up to the plates table, we may ask them some questions or talk to them a little while they're waiting. But once they go to the line, I know that they have to get to class. So I try to make sure that they can have enough comfortable time to sit and eat their meal and get on to their next class. Mm -hmm. And then they, just because they're, there's so many people that have been coming for years, almost every day for years, their whole college career. And, and so, yeah, they, they get to know us and they make friends with the devotees and then they come to our programs that we have at the Krishna house. We, at one point pre-pandemic, we had five programs a week at the Krishna house. And then that all came to a screeching halt, but now we have two programs a week. Mm -hmm basically Outdoors. run by the residents who live there yeah right? yeah by the residents yeah some of whom joined because of krishna lunch yeah yeah, yeah. Right. and temples other temples send devotees to us to get trained mm -hmm. they know we have ashram space they know we have a, a, a training program here and they'll send devotees from all over to come and learn uh, krishna consciousness here wonderful yeah so you mentioned when we were looking at the Prasadam pictures, I, I actually, I just have to say, you know how you were saying, oh, she played the guitar, the bass. I, I don't know. It just <laughs> bottom line, she played an instrument or she, yeah. was for me, looking at the different, you know, I cooked in that kitchen, but looking at the different equipment, I don't know one thing from the other when it comes <laughs> to quantity. Cooking. Right. Right. You have just hearing you talk about it, you know, the precision and the passion that you have is really inspiring. But you mentioned the picture next to it, which was Krishna Kitchen. Yeah. I only know a little bit about Krishna Kitchen. I know that it was, I believe, started by Nitai, a wonderful devotee, and was very famous at Burning Man, which is this crazy big festival out in Nevada in the desert. Yeah. Do you want to tell us how you got into that and what that was like for you? So I had moved from Boston to Northampton, Massachusetts to start a center. So basically, okay. I just rented. Yeah. So basically I just rented an apartment and put out some smart boxes for people to learn about the program. And, you know, I went to different places around town and just got to know people. And so people started coming to the house, 
but but during that summer, so I first got there in January 2011, and then I got a phone call from the Thai somewhere in May, I think, or April, saying that he heard that I cook because I used to cook all throughout the East Coast. I would cook often for I'd be called to festivals to cook, mm-hmm. and so so your name starts to get around, you know, and then people call you to cook. So Natai called me to cook, and he said. <laughs> that we do this thing called Krishna Kitchen and and he wanted to do there was a local festival in New England he first wanted me to cook for so I was like okay and he pay, he paid and I needed to support my center so I needed the I needed that so I went and cooked at one of the programs and then he said all right we're going we're doing a tour on the west coast in the summer and I could pay you and I thought okay summer can be slow I'll just tell my students that I'll be gone for a couple months and then I'll be able to pay rent for a few months and it'll keep me going. So we flew out to the West Coast and basically just drove up and down the West Coast, setting up a kitchen, cooking for a festival, breaking down, driving to the next place. Same thing. Natai had these military tents that you had to take a class to set up. <laughs> Did and he took, conduct the class or was no, it, some, it was some outside? The, the people who sold it, the people okay. sold it. It was in Oregon, I think. And so we was- went and took the class and it was this whole like systematic way. Of course, it's military, you know this whole systematic way of setting up. They were really good tents because most of those events took place in the desert because they liked mm. having really loud music and blowing things up. That was the, <laughs> that was the thing out there. And yeah. so we're just always in a desert and there was always sandstorms. And so these tents had windows with flaps and they were meant to be set up in a desert, I guess. They, had, they were, you know, desert color, military tents. And so we cooked in there. And then Pushpavan, I don't know if he's watching tonight. Push Pushpavan came and met up with us at um, Burning Man. And he brought his truck that he drives, his 18-wheeler. He brought the front part and it was air conditioned. <laughs> so sometimes, <laughs> and he had his um, Shalagram Sheila. So sometimes we would go in there and cool down a little bit. But, but you know, it was when you cook in a kitchen in the desert, the mm-hmm. desert feels air conditioned compared to the kitchen. So mm-hmm. it gets really hot. Burning Man was around 94 degrees during the day and that felt cool compared to the yeah. kitchen. So um, we were cooking for different camps at Burning Man. And then at night it got cold because it's the desert. And it was definitely an experience. They had, they build a temple there every year and the devotees would go there and chant, do a little kind of Harinam there at the temple sometimes. And then we had people, Natai's wife, Mandali, she had a setup where people can offer incense to Jagannath. So we had a, a setup where people could come, they get prashad, you know, they could do a little service. They would come and help do cut up and things like that. It was really nice. It was a nice, it's a nice mood there. People are there mm. voluntarily. So their mood is not just paid workers. Their mood is mm. we're setting up these, these art installations and we're here to serve. So they would come and help out in the kitchen sometimes. And they were always all friendly. I mean, there's always a couple of jerks, but mostly, basically they're all friendly. And it was really nice to work with them. So you were working with Krishna Kitchen during your time pioneering this town and it was called West... Northampton. Northampton. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. So you would take breaks, travel around to cook for feasts and festivals. And meanwhile, you were heading up this, this project. Do you have a realization that you can share with us about what it's like to basically start in some place where Krishna consciousness isn't yet and what that felt like for you? Well, you know, it's interesting. The way I, 
I don't know if this will answer your question directly, but I just felt like that what I wanted people to do was come to the program, feel comfortable, and really be able to ask whatever question they needed to ask. When we would do Bhagavad Gita classes on Mondays, and it's hard because I was there alone, and devotees from Boston would come and help sometimes, but mostly I had to conduct the class, teach them how to do kirtan, I would have to cook the meal, you know, and so on. So, and then go out and try to try to find people to come and, and take part in this. And so, and I would try to get them to help. I mostly attracted professional, older professionals who had a job all day. So they couldn't, they helped as much as they could. But, but then I would do every Sunday, I would do a Japa brunch. So I would invite them to come and try chanting Japa. And then we would talk about what they experienced when they chanted and what the experience was like. So it was nice. It was nice to just see people sit there and be able to discuss and, and participate. And then what I, so then at a certain point in my life, I had decided that I wanted to get deities and you and I were talking about this and I wanted to get Gorni Thai. It just was time. I felt like it was time to get deities and without going into all the details. Well, I could say this much. I ordered the deities from Jaipur, which is like the Marvel capital of India, from what I understand. And I had asked them, how long does it take to get the deities? And they said one month. And so I thought, okay, so that means five months, right? Because it's India. <laughs> so nothing ever really happens in the time frame that they say. <laughs> and so I thought, okay, five months. And that's pretty much exactly what it was. It was five months. <laughs> and I had gone to Boston because Boston still hadn't gotten a large quantity cook. So they kept bringing me into... Uh, they would give me a donation and they would have me cook for their festivals. So I had gone to Boston for John Mastami to cook. And while we were cooking, I got a voicemail saying that I had something came through customs at the Boston airport. And that was the deities. It was Gorni Nitai Gaur Sundar. So they arrived in Boston on John Mastami. And then we went on Prabhupada's, but I was too busy cooking to go get them. So I went on the next day in Prabhupada's Vyasa Puja to pick them up. So I got them, brought them back to Northampton. We had a ceremony to welcome them and we had a feast and the devotees came. And I felt like it really changed the program mm. because now when these, these devotees came to my program, we were chanting for the deities and we knew that the food was offered to the deities. It made it more personal. Mm. And so what I did was I started teaching. I made every one of them learn how to lead kirtan. You know, even though they were very new, I just was, I, you know, there's no reason for anybody to not get trained early on in how to do things like lead a kirtan, play instruments, give a class, mm. you know, that should happen pretty soon. It used to be, and I don't know if some places are still like this, maybe things have changed a lot, but it used to be that practically had to be around for 15, 20 years before someone asked you to, you know, give a class or you know, it just wasn't, it was always just that, well, the senior devotees leave Kirtan or the senior devotees give class. And then, mm. you know, it's it, then that started to change and it started to be that younger and younger people were, were learning how to do these things. And I thought, let's just get them started right away. They've been coming to my program for, I think at this point, almost a year. And so I just printed out all the mantras and I let them lead. And no matter how much they messed up, I was like, keep going, just keep chanting. Don't worry about like, and I would just stop the kirtan and correct it. Okay. It's pronounced like this. Okay. Keep going. And that's how they would learn. They would just learn that I'm in front of a bunch of people. I'm going to mess up. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter if I mess up. 
eventually the only way you could learn is if you practice. And so I just got them all to learn. I got them all to learn the Pramadwani prayers. And so one of the students, she visited the New York temple and she said she felt, you know, it was the exact same program. And she's like, I knew everything. <laughs> I knew all the mantras and I knew what, when to say what, when, and, you know, so it's nice that ISKCON, no matter where you go, that Prabhupada set up a system that it's always the same wherever you go and you can just plug in. You're not a stranger there. It's not foreign to you. It's just the same thing you do in other places. So you can plug mm -hmm. right in. Yeah. And so I guess, I don't know if that answers your question. It's kind of a roundabout way, but that was, that was my basic experience. What I'm hearing from that, you know, living in Jacksonville, I live in Jacksonville and we're inviting people to take part in Krishna consciousness here and there's no official temple. So you're saying to, it's not, you're not facilitating an experience for her, you know, for people to passively participate. You're saying, give them ownership of the program. Yeah. And yep. basically create, create a family of, of, of leaders, almost people yeah, who can, yeah. who can take charge, who are capable of, you know, and, and in that way they feel, you know, I belong, I'm, I'm a part of this. I'm not just a guest that yeah, I I'm feel, not just I an feel observer. Like, right. There's that threshold that we cross over from an observer to, to someone who's engaged in the service. And it sounds like you just have a natural ability to do that for people to do that with people and to make them feel comfortable too is huge you know like you said it's not a performance yeah and that that's the biggest i think the biggest thing that holds people back from doing these things is they're afraid they're going to make a mistake and so what i would always tell them is, is like of course you're going to make a mistake and mm -hmm. and you're going to make another one after that and another one after that and it's like that's not the point you don't just do things because you're already perfect at them. You do things because first you have to learn and then, then you become good at it. You can't just expect to jump to perfection. So the problem is, is that people are worried about being judged. That if they make a mistake, everyone's going to think they're an idiot or a loser or they're going to ridicule them. And so you have to create an atmosphere where it's like, we don't, we don't do that here. We don't, and we don't mm -hmm. allow it either. Because honest, I mean, everyone's a conditioned soul. Someone's always going to judge. There's always going to be a judge, you know? <laughs> it's like the Muppet Show, you know, those two judges that were always <laughs> making fun of everybody. So there's always going to be someone like that. But if you set the mood and you don't allow that to flourish, that judgmental attitude, then even the judgmental person starts to realize, oh, this isn't what we do here. And it actually is helpful for them because then they realize that's not really, that wasn't really a good path I was taking. And then they see that, no, this is what we do is we support people and we help them and, and we encourage them. And so if, if you're there, if you're there as the leader saying, it's okay, you made a mistake, please continue the kirtan, then everyone else learns that, oh yeah, it's okay. It's okay, we shouldn't interrupt and we shouldn't, you know, it's like, but you have to be the leader who says that. You have to be the leader who shows that I'm the one running the show and I think it's not a problem. Hmm. So you know, then everybody kind of follows suit and they realize that, yeah, it's not, let's not make a big deal out of this. It's not a big deal. Mm. It's not a big deal if you don't know how to pronounce the words yet, or if you mm. forgot which word to say next, don't make a big drama out of it, you know? Wow. I, I just, I, I love hearing, you know, how you've implemented in all your different services, such uh, smart planning and in, innovation, you're such a doer and a, a compassionate 
leader? What what are the kind of the the areas of Krishna consciousness that really get you going? Obviously, the cooking and you've <laughs> you've done so much there. But I know when we first uh, connected, you and I, you were you were telling me about uh, this really innovative kind of help program that you were involved with. What program? I can't even remember exactly what it was, but it was something about how you could help devotees just really apply Krishna consciousness in a, a practical way. I, I don't know if you remember. Well, I, I don't know if, the, if you're referring, because I, I we talked a long time ago, so I'm trying to remember. Yeah, we, the GBC college is people who are attending the GBC college have to do a project. That's right. That's what And I got kind of tricked into ended up in two different GBC college groups <laughs> because, because one person called me before the other person did and said, okay, I'm going to have you in my group. And I was like, okay, you got to me first. And then the other person was like, okay, all the managers are going to be in this group. And I was like, damn it. No, I'm into it. But you know, that's just the way it is. So it's fine because it's important work. But the, the, the first group is that we're starting um, a program for, we, we first were thinking mentorship, but then we we're thinking more so coaching that mm -hmm. we coach people in their spiritual life so that it empowers them. It's not just that they depend on us to constantly tell them how they should do things, but that we coach them into, you know, same thing, taking charge of your life, your spiritual life. And we just mm -hmm. coach people through that. I, is that the program you were referring to or was there something else? Yeah. 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 That's, that's what it was. And yeah, I mean, you were just giving me some of your, your insights into yeah, just how to make it practical and forget what else there was, but yeah, there's well, it was, what, what are some of the other projects other than cooking? I know you're, whether it's things you're actively doing or what, what's your inclination as far as how you like to encourage people in Christian consciousness? Well, yeah, there's that. I just, people who are afraid to, you know, everyone has their personality. So and it can go either, you know, it can go either extreme. You can use your personality type to do something good, but then sometimes it swings to the extreme where it's annoying to people. Right. So I have the tendency to take charge and that can come in handy and sometimes it can be annoying. But, mm -hmm. you know, I always say that it's like, you can't have it both ways. You can't expect, you can't like it when a person who likes to take charge takes charge only when it's convenient for you. That's just mm -hmm. who they are. And a person who is maybe doesn't take charge, they're good at something else, like connecting with people and inviting people to, you know, we have one devotee here. Well, he's not here right now, but he's just, he's so slow. He's just <laughs> slow. And, and when I'm at Krishnalance, I'm moving fast. I'm like, get it set up, get everything. Da, 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 da. Like, and he's just so, so I'm trying, I'm trying. But the thing is, he's really good at inviting people to programs and making friends with them and making them feel comfortable. He's really good at that. So I think, okay, you know, you can't have it both ways. You can't expect him to be passionate and fast and be really mellow with people. It's one or the other, you know, so everyone's got their thing they're good at mm -hmm. and it, and that thing that they're good at can be annoying sometimes and it can be very mm -hmm. handy sometimes. So you have to take the good with the bad. Right. And so for me, that's the thing I like to do is to encourage people to not wait for everybody else to do something for them or, again, just be a passive observer, but actually take control of the situation 
even, you know, on campuses, you have to relate to the students. You have to tell them what the rules are. You have to, you know, in a nice way. So you really have to show that, well, here's, here's, here's what our, our rules are during the pandemic. You know, obviously when it's not the pandemic, there weren't really rules. You just get a plate and you get your food. But now we have to tell them a whole spiel. So just teaching people to really say, here I am and here's what our standards are. Do you have any questions? Mm-hmm. You know, and not be apologetic about it to the point where you just say, I'm really sorry, but if it's okay with you, no, it's just, this is, this is what we do. And mm-hmm. we welcome you, but this is what mm-hmm. our standards are. So mm-hmm. just trying to get people to say, you know, here's, here's what needs to be done and I'm capable of doing it. And then just going and doing it and not being afraid that, yeah, but what if I do it and I make a mistake or what if I do it, you know, just to get people to really take charge of their spiritual life and Mm. work together with other people. Not just that you take charge at everyone else's expense where you plow through everybody, but just to say, I really take charge of my spiritual life and in conjunction with working, working well with other devotees, working in harmony with other devotees Mm. where I'm compassionate towards them. And I really hear them when they tell me that something may need to be improved, but at the same time, not just kind of hiding you know, or just saying, okay, everybody else does that, but I'm not really good at it. So I'm not going to do it ever, Mm. you know, but really just learn how to do things, even if you're not great at it Mm. and then figure out what you like to do. Yes. That's such a, such good advice to always really identify for ourselves. You know, what gets me going that I can apply to Krishna consciousness? Cause there's just within that, there's going to be unlimited possibilities of service has always been my, my experience. There's so much that can be done. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And that was your question. What's the other things I like to do? I forgot to answer that <laughs> just real quick, because I know we only have a couple of minutes left. But I do like to teach focused subjects. In other words, I like to take something that's applicable to people's life and see it through scripture and teach it in an organized way so that they can walk away with something and not have information overload, but just be, have a focused subject to, to learn mm-hmm. and, and be able to apply. So that I like to do also. Can you give us an example? Well, there's, there's one that I'm working on right now that I think is important for people in general, but especially for devotees, because they tend to be a little more humble, at least they're trying to be, is that to, to recognize red flags in relationships. So that if you're going to start enter a relationship with someone know what red flags to look for so that you can you can cut out quickly if you need to you know if you just say something's not right here because oftentimes we make excuses well they're a devotee and it's just this it's just that and really they have a personality disorder or they're abusive Mm. and so you have to look for the red flags and a lot of people don't recognize them they write them off as something else and if they recognize them, they could avoid a lot of a lot of wasted time, a lot of pain, a lot of you know emotional turmoil. They can avoid all that. So that's the next thing I was I've been working on, but it got mm. it got busy for some time, and I hadn't had a chance to finish it. So I'm hoping to do that over the summer. Mm. Yeah, so I'm all about saving people time if we can from <laughs> our own experiences, because sometimes it can be decades, if not a lifetime. Whereas someone who's had a particular experience could, could give you some, some really good insights on how to save time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So stuff like that. And just, you know, 
obviously that's for, you know, and then there's just scriptural things. There's, there's certain things in scripture you could focus on shikshash to come or things like that where you just focus on chanting. What does Lord Chaitanya say about chanting properly? And, you know, what can we learn for it? Or Ravina Sherpapu does a lot of seminars. He does the cure of souls and mm. he did the shikshas to come and things like that. It's a focused study. I like that. I like those kinds of things. Mm. So if you lead the, that study, do you do it at Krishna house or is it like an online forum? I guess we could do both at this point. So many people are online because of the pandemic and we're still on lockdown you know, everyone's getting vaccinated, but there's still, we want us to wait and see how things go before we open up. Okay. So I would teach the okay. students here, but I would put it online for anybody else who wants to participate. It sounds wonderful. That would be great. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to yeah. the Krishna house reopening to the public. Me too. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Yep. There we are. Soccer. Oh, that's oh, yeah, when we that went was... to the, the Hare Krishna movie. Yes. Oh, yeah. So we have a couple of questions. I want to uh, acknowledge our, you know, we have some, some participants here with us this evening. Thank you so much for being with us. T, who's T? What's the full name? <laughs> You're welcome to unmute yourself and ask the question. You're asking something about association with uh, Yamuna Devi and, and what is Nandanandanas Prabhu's diet? <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's anonymous. Secret identity. Okay, well, I'll read the question. What keeps oh, you so healthy? Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, that, 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 he is asking, you know, what, what, what keeps you healthy with such an intense service? Okay. Then there's a question that above that. Do. There's a question above that about Yamuna also. So which one do you want me to answer first? The health, the eat healthy one? Uh, either one's fine. <laughs> okay. I don't know. I, you know, lately, so I'm trying to think of where to start. When I was younger, I had so much energy that I had to go to the gym just so I could sleep. And this was after cooking and playing soccer and all that. I would still wow. need to go to the gym because, and I would get excited when I went to the gym because I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that because <laughs> I just had so much. And if I went to bed without doing that, it was like restless leg syndrome. And, you know, mm. it was, so I, so I think that carried me a long way, but I think I might've overdone it a little bit over the years well i mean it adds up you know it all adds up doing all that cooking the krishna kitchen tour there's a picture of me one time sleeping on like a wooden table with a paper towel roll for a pillow and it was actually very comfortable that's how tired i was yeah but um so you know as you get older you your energy starts to go down a little bit but so what i try to do first of all is whenever I can is go to bed early because the earlier you go to bed, the better your sleep. When I feel my energy down, I, there's an acupuncturist I go to. Sometimes she uh, prescribes me some traditional Chinese herbs that help the energy. I do kind of natural things to, to build the blood, different foods I research to see what's good for that. And lately mm -hmm. we set up a little gym here at Krishna house in the tool shed so that because we can't go to the gym because it's the pandemic. So we just put a few things in there and, I try to work out, you know, three times a week. And then I've been getting Adikarta's milk and yogurt. Mm -hmm. And because milk, if it's cooked and eaten properly with spices, it's easy to digest. And it has things that, well, for example, milk, the only way you can get B12 naturally is through meat or dairy. And so when Prabhupada said that milk was brain food, he wasn't kidding because mm. it has B12 and B12 was for your brain, you know, it's for that whole system. And so I do that. I make like spiced cutty with the, with the yogurt. And so I just basically try not to overeat. 
I try to get enough rest. I try to take foods that are nutritious and, and I try to go to the farmer's market whenever I can because that food has so much more nutrition than the store is kind of, when you buy store-bought food, it's kind of like plastic. It, there's not much value to it. Mm. But the farmer's market has so much flavor and nutritional value and just trying to get out and walk every day and make sure I get fresh air and things like that. That's what I do to kind of try to keep my, still I get tired, but, but once I have a job to do, I just kind of do it until I'm done. And then later I think about if I'm tired. Hmm. So sometimes I'll realize how tired I am mm -hmm. later, but when, when I'm on the mission, it's, I can't, I can't stop till it's done. Yeah. Great question. And mm -hmm. thank you so much for answering that. That's, uh, yeah. I'm going to take some, some good notes from that for myself. <laughs> and stay hydrated in Florida, you yeah. know, it's yeah. 12 cups of days. Yeah. Just keeping in shape. I mean, when I was in high school, I was on the swim team, I was on the basketball team, and then I was going to gyms after that. And, and I was, you, if you keep in shape, if you're always exercising, it really keeps your energy up. It keeps you stronger and healthier. So I see that someone asked if I had any association with Yamuna Devi. Yeah. Yes, I did. It turns out that in, I think it was 1994, she was living in DC with Dean Attorney at Henry's house. They, he gave them a whole wing. To, he had this huge place in DC and they got one whole wing of the house, which was a dining room, a kitchen, a bedroom, a living room, another room. It was big. And she had gotten deities from Prabhupada personally gave her and she was reinstalling them. And Jaini Tai, who back then was Jay, he knew her and he invited me and my boyfriend to go to stay at their house for the weekend to attend the ceremony and help her with the cooking. Mm -hmm. So we went and stayed for the weekend and we would have a Bhagavad Gita class in the morning and it didn't matter what the verse was. The class was about Prabhupada. That's mm -hmm. what she talked about. She'd talk a little bit about the verse and then she would talk about Prabhupada. <laughs> mm -hmm. Always like, like it was a father that she just visited recently. It was always like Prabhupada said this and then once, you know, and she would yeah. tell us stories about Prabhupada. And then she was the same way. She wanted everyone to participate. So she had these instruments and these random instruments in her house. And she would tell everyone, everyone take an instrument and play it. Doesn't matter if you know how to or not, just play. Hmm. And so she would lead a kirtan. And I remember back then, back in the cassette tape days, I had some cassette tapes <laughs> and a recorder and I recorded the kirtans. And I still, I actually just found the tape the other day, Dave Avon gave me a cassette tape player. And I found that tape that That's we great. have of her singing and giving Bhagavad Gita class. So I want to try to render that into MP3 yeah, or something. Precious. But yeah, and I was listening and I was like, wow, her voice is so nice. And then you heard us, you know, it's just like so <laughs> bad, it's painful. But she didn't act, you know, for her, it wasn't, it didn't matter. It was just kirtan. And we all had our little instrument that we played and we all sang and she just got absorbed in it. And then she was very organized in the way she planned a feast. So I guess seeing her do that influenced me because the way I plan feast is you first figure out the menu, then you write out your boga list, then you figure out which day you're going to do what, you know, what you're going to prep in advance. And that's how she did it by the day. Today, we're going to do this, mm -hmm. then tomorrow we're going to cook that. And then on the day, we're going to do these things. So it was very organized. And so she invited a few people. Bhakti Tirta Swami, Rajalila was there, Mother Sadamani and Ravina Sri Prabhu. And then what are their names? Christy and 
can't remember their names. They do that. They did that artwork, the light of the Bhagavad. I can't remember their names. Yeah. Chris, Chris and, and I can't remember. Beautiful book. Yeah. Yeah. So they came for the, for the program and she's, you know, I, I have some pictures from it too. Her altar was very beautiful. And so that was the one weekend that was the association I had with her. And then her cookbook was my kitchen Bible. It was the, every feast practically I ever made in Boston over the years was from her cookbook. Wow. It's, it's actually, her cookbook is amazing because if anybody wants to be an excellent cook and be praised for their cooking, they just should follow mm. her recipes. That's it, you know? And I would always tell people, I'd say, oh, the feast is great. It's like, it's Yamuna's, it's Yamuna's mm. recipes. And if people just use that cookbook, they can make amazing things. She has such amazing recipes in there and it's very thorough instructions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What a great reminder of Yamuna's book. I've heard so much about that book because my, my father was one of, the, the team members when they put that book together and heard so oh, much yeah. about it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a great book. Well, thank you so much, Nandanandana Prabhu. Yeah, this for has been a, oh, it's a really, wonderful. really wonderful talk and it's, it's great to, to know you, to get to know you more. And thank you for joining us as we keep working our way through our wonderful community of devotees. I want to thank all of the devotees that joined us on Zoom today. And we're trying something new here at Nectar Talks. We want to see if we can increase the volume of, of interviews. So Amrita Kaley and I are going to be doing some, some pre-recorded interviews, which take a little bit less organizing and planning. So our first one, which will be the next episode, is uh, with Shanka Prabhu, our wonderful Shanka and hundred yeah <laughs> yeah we're we're on a prashadam theme right now so look for that that uh, may be coming out in the next couple of weeks i'm just reflecting prabhu on your your mood of encouraging everyone and to cut out the fear of failure mm -hmm. because i feel like our our bar in krishna consciousness or in iskon is quite high you know, and, and I've heard the saying, you know, to be a jack of all trades and a, and a master of, a, a master of, of one, right? Mm -hmm. Master um, of none. If you're a jack of all trades, you're a master of none. Right. <laughs> okay. So master, <laughs> so, so take the pressure off. You don't even have to be a master of one, just of none. <laughs> right, right. Just to, but, but the important thing is, is not just to have the, the self-confidence to try but to be encouraged and supported by people who will allow you to fail and to be imperfect and to expect it and to smile and work as a friend with you through it. And that's what I see in you. And I think that is what carries the movement forward in such a healthy and positive way, in a way that's really, really relevant to somebody who's coming in brand new off the street and can make a connection like in the heart. So- Yeah, I just think it's unrealistic to it's not even rational to think that the first time someone tries something, they're going to be an expert at it. It's just, it's insanity. It's like, why would you, ex why would you expect them not to make a mistake? Or why would you expect them to get it right the first few times? Right. Just like, that's, it's unrealistic. It doesn't even, it's not even rational. So, you know, and how will people ever learn if they don't try? And I think this is this sort of fear can linger years and years and years into yeah. practicing. Like what you're saying is very helpful for me. Mm. And I've been practicing for, you know, 
some time now, but to sort of get over that fear of exploring new ground. Yeah, yeah. And just not being good at it. So thank you yeah. so much. Yeah, I mean, that, yeah. You're a special person. And if it, if it makes you feel better, one time I cooked a Sunday feast and I forgot to put sugar in the halibut. <laughs> and I didn't realize it till it was served and I was talking to a guest and I took a mouthful and I was like oh no and I ran in the and I sorry, ran into the temple to tell them to, to take it down and on my way and I heard someone go nice halibut <laughs> they had already had it I was like god damn it but um so yeah and I mean and it happens but it didn't mean I stopped cooking it's just like okay next time pay attention you know if someone wants to contact you after this meeting, how would they do it? The easiest way, email? There you go. Nandadasi108 at gmail.com. Also, shout out to Raghunath and the Prabhus from Shelter for having some part in bringing you to us. Bringing lots of people, yeah. yeah. I mean, they did a good, great job back then. And they faced a lot of criticism, even from devotees that thought that it wasn't a good idea to do something like that. Mm -hmm. And they still kept pushing forward and it was very successful. Yeah. Actually, I, I was trying to comment earlier when you were talking about Kelly Lalita mm -hmm. and you know your experience with her and just women having an equal place in the movement. She's done an amazing interview on this podcast called Off the Altar. A <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. You told me about that. Yeah. So, yeah. If if you guys haven't heard that, I mean, I really learned a lot about what women have gone through and what work still needs to be done. And it was really insightful. So I yeah. just wanted to give a little plug for that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It has a lot has changed since then, since back then. Yeah. For the better. Yeah. Thank, thank Krishna for that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, and, uh, everyone. Yeah. Thank you, Nanda Nandana Prabhu. Thank you. Hare Krishna. We'll see you all soon. Okay. We'll see you soon at Krishna lunch. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Haribo. Haribo. Haribo.